This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle, Australia. Good afternoon. Thank you once again for joining me. Julian Campbell here, and we've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. As usual, a bit later in the program, we're going to have a look at some of those little business tips, ways to improve our performance reviews, ways to increase our productivity. We're also talking with Brett Gleeson from the Lake Macquarie Business Centre about business success. What is it and how can we improve our business success? But right now, we're going to have our monthly chat with Dave Sheeran from WorkCover. Today, we're going to be talking about hazards and risks. Good afternoon, Dave. Good afternoon, Julian, and a very good afternoon to all of your listeners. Once again, thank you for joining us. Um, I suppose when we start talking about hazards and risks, we really want to understand what risk management is all about. Good point. And um, basically, when we look at risk management, we look at a cyclical process. So the first thing is, is the first element in the risk management process to identify the hazards within the workplace. Second step is to assess the risks that evolve or are created by those had the identification of those hazards. Third step is to eliminate and or control those risks. And then final step is to monitor and review. So when you monitor and review, you're coming back to the identification phase. So it's a cyclical process within itself. Okay, and, and obviously that's an ongoing process as well. But a couple of words mentioned there, hazards and risks. Really, what's the difference between the two? Fundamentally, they are different, Julian, in the sense that a hazard is anything that has the potential to cause harm. So this could be a chemical, it could be a machinery, plant, equipment, it could be noise, and so on and so on. Whereas a risk is different, because the risk is the likelihood and consequence of harm based on exposure to the hazard. So fundamentally, they're different. If you're not exposed to the hazard then there is no risk. Mm. So the hazard must come into your area. Mm. Now, that could be like fumes, gas, noise, dust, or you must go into the hazards area for there to be a risk. So once we do come into contact or are exposed to a hazard, we must then identify um, the risk and the, um, uh, the, the level of risk that we're actually exposed to. So have you got an example of how we can put that into context? Um, very much so. It, it's, it's based on what we, as I referred to earlier on, as exposure. So let's say, for example, the sun, and we'll use that as a classic example, a high incidence of um, uh, skin cancer within, um, within this country, regrettably. Um, if we look at working outdoors in the sun, so the hazard itself is actually ultraviolet radiation being the sun. Now, the risk is based on exposure. So when we look at the frequency and the duration of that exposure, so how long and how often are we exposed to it? And, mm. and what are some of the human differences? Do I, am I, you know, am I fair-skinned? Do I have a lot of melanin in my skin? Um, and so on and so on. So when we look at the fundamentally the risk management phase, we're actually trying to prioritise what is the likelihood and the consequence associated with that level of exposure. So if I work outdoors eight hours a day in the sun, and I have very little sun protection, so I work without a shirt on, one would argue that the risk matrix would point us to a very high risk of, of saying that, look, this could call, kill a person or cause permanent disability, and it would be very likely to happen at any time. Mm. So if I had total protection, I minimised the amount of exposure to the sun, um, uh, wore some sunscreen as well, then it might reduce that level of risk, uh, being the severity or the likelihood um, from that exposure. So you mentioned another interesting concept there, the word risk matrix. What, what are we talking about there? When we're looking at a risk matrix, we're basically assessing what is the likelihood of the event happening and what would be the consequence. 
So when we talked about the risk earlier on, we looked at the likelihood and consequence um, of harm based on exposure to the hazard. So we have a matrix um, in our HAZPAC um, document within WorkCover. It's a very, very good, easy document for small businesses to use. But what we're doing is we're trying to prioritise the severity and the likelihood of the risk. Now, once we do that, that enables us then enables us to prioritise um, through a risk rating system, as I gave you an example before of the skin cancer. Uh, there might be something that fumes that might be a bit lower. There might be something right down to a paper cut that might be even very low on the risk matrix of a six being that it would be very unlikely it would happen and probably in the event maybe first aid. So we prioritise them so we know that we can then set about dealing with the greatest risks first mm. so we don't run around dealing with all the insignificant ones and yet the, 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 the ones that are the most harmful are still evident in the workplace that can cause us um, serious injury or death. So, so the role of our team or our, our uh, OH&S committee is to identify first of all hazards that are in our workplace and then prioritise it in terms of the risk and the likelihood of it happening. Absolutely, and, and your committee is a great tool to use as well, or your health and safety rep, or even just, you know, some of the workers within the organisation. If you have a checklist, and we have some wonderful checklists um, in our publications guides, um, they can go out and they can do a workplace inspection. Um, they can also um, look at injury records or first aid records and things like this. It will tell them that there has been an incident occur or a NIMS occur and they can go out and investigate that. And that's really leading them towards the source of the hazard and then they can assess the risk and then move on from there to eliminate and or, if can't eliminate, then control. Mm. I suppose, uh, obviously, a lot of uh, personal opinion comes into some of this, doesn't it, as to how, how, how risky it is? Very much so, and I think that's also based on our, our beliefs, our values, our level of conditioning, our level of education, our understanding of health and safety and risks and so on and so on. So we will perceive things differently. Mm. I think the ideal is, the ideal outcome is if we do find a hazard, um, you know, irrespective of what number we come up with, you know, you might argue it's a one, I might argue it's a three, we might reach common ground on a two. The reality is it's some, that something needs to be done to control it because it presents a risk to mm. the people who work within that environment. And I think that's the most positive thing that, that the business and the employees have got to look at. And, of course, then the, uh, the number that comes up on the matrix is uh, the priority as to which ones we need to fix first. Very much so, very much so. If we've got a rating of one to six, the ones are the ones that are very, very likely um, and can kill or cause long-term illness or serious injury and down to the sixes. You know, like, it, it's, it's, it's very unlikely it could happen, probably, you know, it may not happen, but may only involve first aid. So in a descending order of effectiveness through that prioritising process, we can then get about at least dealing with what we see as being the major risks associated with um, uh, the business. Yeah. All right. So uh, have you got any uh, workshops coming up this month? I do have a workshop coming up this month, and it's a really, really good workshop insofar as it talks about managing injured workers. So regrettably, if someone's already been harmed, um, you know, the system will provide a reactive measure there to manage that injury. Um, and it's a great little workshop for people to come along. And the date of that workshop... Um, Julian will be on the 18th of November and will be at Newcastle Panthers and it's a 9.30 start with a 9am registration. So is this for people who already have injured workers or the ones that are likely to get one? Well, 
either. Either yeah. or. <laughs> Obviously, that through the risk management process, we yes. were attempting to resolve that or at yeah. least prevent that from occurring, uh, the same as you know, the legislation is a preventative measure, and um, the workers' compensation injury management system is a reactive measure to protect those. So whether they've been injured or, um, you know, whether there's a potential risk associated with the business, Anybody can come along. It's good information for their business. And, of course, we've spoken about the $500 uh, rebate that's available. This workshop allows people to get that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and uh, hurry up because it might not continue for much longer. Well, look, there is. There, I have heard um, that the, uh, the rebate will be subjected to some change and um, it will conclude on the 31st of December and it will reintroduced I think in February um, 2011 so if you want to come along to a workshop and get your safety solution in whether it be ergonomic related, whether it be um, something to do with fumes and noise in the business or, or hazardous substances, storage, lighting ventilation, whatever, you really need to get that rebate claim in before the 31st of December. Right. Well thanks very much for your time again Dave, we'll uh, have a chat with you again next month. Thank you Julie, yeah. I hope you and your listeners have a safe and happy day. Thank you, bye bye. Dave Sheeran, Sheeran there from the work cover, helping us to understand what hazards and risks are and the importance of documenting that in your workplace. And, of course, uh, that important uh, seminar there, managing, in, managing Injured Workers Back Into The Workforce. And you're listening to Business, The Law and You on 2NURFM 103.7, 25 minutes past one. Time to go and have a chat with Brett Gleeson. Good afternoon, Brett. G'day, Julian. Thank you for joining us again. Um, Pleasure. We're going to be talking about business success, and I suppose the first thing we need to do is define success. Yeah, well, it's an interesting concept because it's, uh, I guess success is, uh, is something different for different people. It depends on what uh, what motivates them and what their values are. And uh, for some people, just opening the business is a success, and yet for someone else, being there for five years or fifty years is, you know, would be a measure of success. And uh, some people like the independence and being their own boss and you know, sort of making money or um, some people being successful is that provi- actually, you know, not about money at all. It's actually yeah. about providing a service. And, yeah. uh, and some people see success as being able to work just four days a week and, uh, and still survive in a, you know, in a nice, comfortable way. So um, lots of things drive people to, um, to think about you know, success and what is success. And uh, some people you know, are very much motivated by their family and, uh, in other cases, giving back to the community and... Um, some people, I guess, measure it by you know an expensive car or a yacht or a Jaguar or uh, or uh, something like that, or uh, you know, or even uh, you know, having a corporate box of the Melbourne Cup or even running a racehorse. I guess some people might see you know, all those sorts of things. You had to uh, get the Jaguar in there, didn't you? I, I did, I did. Yeah. So yeah. it really relates to goals, doesn't it? I think I think uh, the definition I've heard is the progressive realization of a worthwhile goal. Absolutely, and and as you uh, as you, you know, achieve one goal, it's it's important that you actually uh, set a new goal to, uh, to replace it, and uh, and it's got to be a higher goal, of course. So, uh, yeah, goal setting is is uh, for people they do measure their success by. For those who actually write them down, Julian, of course, <laughs> not everyone writes their goals down, of course, but right. for those who do. They then know that they've actually met those goals, and yes. they know they actually can go to the next stage. So, yeah, that's true. So, what are some of the ingredients of success then? I don't think you can go past hard work. I yeah. don't think too many people are, uh, you know, are successful at you know, putting in some hard work. And some people might say you know, luck, but I think luck is in business uh, isn't really a factor. You know, it's luck when you win the lotto, but not not in business. I think it's uh, the case of if you've got good luck, you generally make that luck. Mm. Uh, and 
really that luck is around you know, good positioning of the business and making the right sort of decisions. So um, um, I think that's more important rather than you know, the straight out luck. I think you know, having vision and looking ahead, uh, reading the signs uh, is a really important ingredient. As long as we just you know, talk about you know, setting some goals and actually achieving them, and then setting us all some new goals, and uh, of course, inspiration and, and passion. You know, you can't go past those two very important uh, ingredients. As, as is, you know, making the right decisions and doing the, the right things uh, are, you know, are, are very important as well. Uh, as is, you know, getting good advice because not everyone knows everything, so you've got to get some good advice and. Um, I think also you know, staying grounded. Mm. Those those people who actually uh, get a bit ahead of themselves and um, you know um, uh, sort of swan it around a bit too much are probably the ones who are likely to uh, to come undone. So uh, st- you know, staying grounded and you know, st- keeping out of a comfort zone and uh, you know, I think really important um, ingredients of, uh, of being successful in business. Well, I've got a reasonably successful business. What happens if I want to take it now to the next level? How do I improve my success? I think you work a little bit harder, um, but you, you know, if you want to, if, you, if things are okay, but you want to do better, I think taking a good hard look at the situation, and particularly having you know, a good hard look at yourself as the business manager owner, and say, yeah, are you still driving the, the things that need to be driven, and uh, are you still playing to your uh, your strengths, and uh, you know, what are you doing about your weaknesses? And uh, we've all got those in in business, and. Uh, and if you've got some weaknesses, what are you going to do about them? Are you going to t- take on some more study or, uh, you know, a uh, bit of time allocation uh, or get your priorities right? What is it that's going to help you to um, to fix those those, uh, those weaknesses? And uh, I think asking lots of questions, you know, why is it the way it is? And, uh, you know, if things aren't ticking along, you know, a particular area of your business the way it is, they'll ask the question and uh, look for some solutions and... Um, yeah, I, I think also, you know, if you if you aren't quite as successful as you want to be, look at the people who are, uh, and uh, find out the people who are are successful and what is it that uh, that they're doing um, that uh, is making them a bit more successful. And uh, but sometimes it's perception. Yeah, you know, we perceive people as being highly successful, and uh, they're they're probably living by the adage of you know, yeah, yeah fake it until you make it. Uh, but uh, confidence is very important. If you have that confidence, um, then. Uh, Faking it until you're making it is probably a pretty good part of the, the recipe, and uh, uh, yeah, that's, uh, uh, you can't you can't beat confidence. And of course, the other thing is, uh, if it if it's working well, don't change it. That's true too. Yes, yes. If, if it's going all right, then uh, then keep it going and see how you can improve it. That's yeah. that's, that's the important thing. That, that notion of continuous improvement is really important in business, and uh, you know, uh, yeah, have a look at have a look at things from the outside in. Uh, have a look at things from. Uh, your customer's perspective, mm. and uh, you know, walk into your in front of your business with the eyes of your uh, of your customer, and uh, see what they see and experience what they experience. And uh, um, I think it's that can be an eye opener sometimes. And uh, if you have a different perspective and just don't make sure that things are okay, then uh, that will help you to be more successful. All right. Well, thanks very much for your time again, Brett. We'll uh, have another chat about business next week. We will for sure. Thank thanks, you. Bye bye. Yes. Bye. Rick Leeson there from the Lake Macquarie Business Centre. Success. Obviously, people have uh, different interpretations of the word, but uh, if you've got some goals and you're achieving it, then you're successful and keep going. And time for some business tips, and we're having a look at these tips from the Harvard Business Review. Three ways to improve performance reviews. The usefulness of performance reviews is open to debate. Some people think they're one-sided, ungrounded and too sugar-coated. Others believe they're an invaluable tool in employee development. But here are three ways to make your reviews more of the latter and less of the former. Firstly, reduce subjectivity. 
tried to incorporate several viewpoints, ask peers, direct reports and more senior managers for input. When possible, compare the employee's performance to that of his or her peers to get a more objective assessment. Secondly, give constant feedback. Reviews reviews shouldn't feel like a surprise party. If you give feedback regularly, then nothing you say in a review will come as a shock. And thirdly, balance evaluation and development. It's important to both assess the individual and to help him or her improve their performance. It may be difficult to engage an employee in a development discussion if he or she is upset about the feedback. Separate the review and development sessions to make room for both to happen. And what about three tips to increase your productivity? We live in a demanding and distracting world. Being productive can sometimes feel like an impossible feat. So here's three ways to get more done without burning out. Firstly, keep one to-do list. Include everything you want or need to do in one place. Writing it down helps get it off your mind and leaves you free to focus on the task at hand. Secondly, do the most important thing first. Before you leave work in the evening, decide what one thing you need to accomplish the next day. Do it first thing in the morning when you're likely to have the most energy and the fewest distractions. And thirdly, schedule time for non-urgent things. It's easy to get caught up in the pressing issues of the day. Block off time in your calendar to do things that would otherwise get squeezed out, like writing, thinking creatively or building relationships. That's taken from a little tip, Six Ways to Supercharge Your Productivity by Tony Schwartz.